Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. This morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles to two different spots. Put your finger, one finger, in Romans chapter 8, and then put the other finger in Isaiah chapter 56. And if I do my math right, you'll have eight left. So one finger in Romans 8, all, <laughs> although you laugh, so uh, yeah. But um, one finger in Romans 8, one finger in Isaiah chapter 56. Um, I heard this week a comment that was made. Somebody talked about this rooted material, and they said it, it, that it, quote, wasn't all that deep. And uh, I always find that word interesting, deep. I've been told that over the years. My preaching isn't deep. And I think it's kind of funny, the word deep, because, you know, what you mean by deep and what I mean by deep could be two different things. Uh, like, by deep, do you mean we're parsing out Hebrew verbs in the Old Testament? No, and I guess it's not very deep. Or if by deep you mean uh, that we're burying our souls and sharing the worst sins we've ever committed, then probably not that deep. God forbid, not that deep. <laughs> you share that with Jesus. That's great. Um, you know, sometimes people think it's deep because they don't understand it. They think, oh, man, that's that one. Man, I didn't understand a word he was saying. That was deep, man. You know, deep is just confusing, pretty much. That's not deep. But if you think about deep in terms of relationship, think about it relationally. You know, like holding hands is pretty basic. But can I tell you, after 32 years of marriage, I still like holding my wife's hand. And there's sometimes that she grabs my hand and I even get butterflies sometimes after 32 years. And I mean that. But is that basic? That's not real deep. See what I mean? See, if, if you would see this relationally, you'd begin to understand. You, I think you'll see that rooted is an opportunity for you to draw close to the heart of God the Father. That's all that it is. By that, now that's deep. If you have a fresh encounter with him, your life will be changed. And if you don't look at the material as, uh, you know, helping you parse out Hebrew verbs in the Old Testament or confusing or deep, it's actually so well written. I'm super impressed by the material. How It's just so simply, so succinctly put. It's really good. But if you see the daily devotional as an opportunity to just spend time alone with God, and it's helping to facilitate that time alone that you have with Jesus each morning, like, that's good. You know, last Saturday, my, my wife and I were gone for the weekend, and we uh, were celebrating our anniversary, and I'm very thankful we got to watch online. I thought that Dave Lemoyne did a phenomenal job last Sunday. Yeah. I really did. David, thank you. I'm super impressed by uh, your ability to teach, my friend. Like, you brought that just so well. And, um, but last weekend, Karis and I were away, and, and so I'm up early Saturday morning, because um, I always am, and um, 
I'm spending, I have my rooted book there, spending time with the Lord. Can I tell you, the Lord met me in a powerful way Saturday morning. I mean, I, I realized, what I realized was, I don't know God as well as I think I know God. And I don't, and that's not, an, I'm not saying that negative, like that's not a shameful thing. It's just a, what I realized was this God is so much bigger than I could ever begin to know. Like he's infinite. I'll spend forever just scratching the surface of getting to know God. Like I'll never, never exhaust him, you know? And I was just in awe of that last Saturday morning as I met with him. And, and at, at the same time, strangely drawn to him. Like, I want more. I just got to have As much as I'll never have it all, I want more. <sighs> that's the good stuff. And that's my prayer for you, that as you go through this next 10, 7 weeks we have left and engage, you know, with your group and, and with the quiet times they've written for you, that you will actually have encounters with God. And that's the good stuff. Now, this morning, I get to talk about finding joy in prayer. Because this week, that's our theme. We're talking about prayer, talking about hearing the voice of God. And I can't think of anything deeper than that, because if you learn the voice of God, God will lead you the rest of your life. It's safe to say that we get into a lot of trouble because we don't know the voice of God. Because we follow maybe what we think is a voice, but it's really not. And then, so learning the voice of God, learning how to encounter God on a daily basis, like learning how to connect with God in prayer, that is absolutely vital to our Christian walk. And it's something that every one of us needs. You know that Jesus, there's only one lesson in the Bible that is recorded that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus didn't teach his disciples how to preach, three-pointers. Three he didn't teach his disciples on how to share their faith. He didn't, he didn't teach his disciples on, you know, um, how, to, how to organize or how to heal, as vital as healing is. He didn't teach them five steps to healing. He taught his disciples how to pray. And the Bible records it for us twice. Two separate occasions, Jesus actually taught his disciples how to pray. That speaks volumes to the importance of prayer. That Jesus would actually take the time to sit down with his boys and say, here's how this gets done. Here's how to connect with. You see, your prayer life is absolutely vital to your connection with God. Charles Spurgeon, the 18th century or 19th century, how does that, I'm always confused about that. If, if he lived in the 1800s, does that make him the 19th century or the 18th century? 19th century. Why do we do that? That, is, that just makes no sense. But anyway, the 19th, Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century uh, preacher, he said this, he said, the goal of prayer is the ear of God. That's the goal of prayer. The, the whole purpose of prayer is for you to come into the presence of God and to connect with him. If you, don't, if you don't walk into the presence of God and you haven't prayed, you've just mouthed a few words. The presence of God is what prayer is really all about. Prayer, I propose to you that prayer is actually the most 
intimate part of your relationship with God. It, it is your secret, private place where you meet with Jesus. And, and, and if we see prayer in that way, I believe that we can begin to find joy in prayer. That prayer is meant to be joyful. It's meant to be the thing that you look forward to and long for and, and, and love to do. But religion has crept in. Religion has come in and kind of stolen it and, and made it all about, quote, saying prayers or doing your prayers or here's your formula. You have to say this, do this, you know, follow this, da ba 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 ba. And and then what that does is that creates a separation. And it ruins your love life with Jesus. So this morning, I want to we've got a big goal today. And the goal is to to ignite a passion for prayer that we would leave this place with a stronger desire, like actually excited about praying. Like you, I, I want you to leave this place going, oh, I, I, can't, wait to get, I can't wait to get alone and try that. That's, that's the, the, the goal today. And if we leave today with five steps to a better prayer life, then I failed miserably. Five steps aren't bad, it's just they don't last. They look great on paper, but they just don't last in real life. And so Today, that's kind of the aim, and boy, it's a big one, and I've been praying, like, God, you've got to help us here. You've got to let us encounter you today as we go through your word. And so, so we start with Isaiah chapter 56, and I just want to read Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8, because this really sets the, the, the foundation for us. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 56, verse 3, and, and he says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them... I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbaths without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, God says, these ones I will bring to my holy mountain and give them, look at that, joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Now, when God first spoke these words through the prophet Isaiah, you need to understand that they would have come as a complete shock both to Isaiah and to the people to whom he was preaching. Isaiah was a Jew, and the people to whom he was preaching were Jews, and Jews had this belief that the temple in Jerusalem, well, that was a Jewish temple, that's, that's our temple, and that the God that they worshipped there in that temple, that, well, he's a Jewish God, he's our God, 
And so here God speaks through Isaiah and he says, hey, I'm going to throw open the gates and I'm just going to make this, this place open. So from here on out, foreigners, eunuchs, anybody who desires a relationship with me is welcomed into my presence. And he said, foreigners, anybody who doesn't matter, Jewish, non-Jewish, welcomed in. That would have been shocking to Isaiah and his friends. Not only foreigners, but he says, God almost doubles down on it. Eunuchs, eunuchs welcomed in my house. Now, a eunuch was someone, a man who had been castrated, probably against his will in order to serve as a slave in somebody's household in some kind of tender type of duty. And so they would do this to these men. And of course, it would have ruined his life forever. You don't go back from that. But what's worse is, in the law of Moses, if you had any kind of physical defect on your body, you weren't permitted into the temple to worship. So these men are not only cut off from ever having family, ever being married, any kind of hope of that, they're also cut off from worship in the temple. They're cut off from fellowship. They're cut off from God, essentially. And so you see what God does? God's like, hey, foreigners, come on in. You want a relationship with me? That's possible. Hey, eunuchs, come on in. You want a relationship with me? That's possible. Let's, let's come on in, and I'm going to make sure that, we have, that you have joy in my house of prayer. I love the message that God gives. If you're a foreigner, it doesn't matter where you come from. God welcomes you in. If you're a eunuch, it doesn't matter what's been done to you. There's a place for you. There's joy in God's house of prayer. No matter where you've come from, no matter what's been done to you, you can have joy in the presence of God. You say, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I don't, I don't really know all this church stuff too well. There's joy in my house of prayer. You're invited here. Yeah, but I was abused as a kid, and I'm kind of screwed up, and you don't, you don't know what I mean. I got all this uh, stuff going on. Yeah, there's joy in my house of prayer. You're invited into a relationship with the God of the universe. Well, yeah, but I, I have all these problems. Yep, there's joy in my house of prayer. No matter where you come from, no matter what's been done to you, foreigners and eunuchs, welcome into the house of prayer. And God says, not only are you welcome, but there will be joy in my house of prayer. You notice the invitation is not just coming to church. The invitation is to relationship. Do you see that? That the God of the universe is not inviting you into a religion. He's inviting you into a relationship with himself. That there's joy in his presence. And when you come into his presence, you experience that joy. Now, you probably know the second part of that verse where it says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations because 
We're familiar, maybe some of us, with that scene out of the life of Jesus where he took a whip and he started, he went all hulk on the guys, the money changers and stuff in the temple, and he's throwing over the tables and he's chasing out the money changers and the sheep and the birds and all that stuff. He's getting them out of the temple and Jesus yells, he says, my, it is written, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of what? Robbers. We, we know that scene, but now do you see the context? The context is really powerful. The context is in joy in my house of prayer. In other words, friends, if you miss the joy of prayer, you are destined to turn it into a dead religious exercise. That's what these guys had done in Jesus' day. That's what he was railing against. They, they had literally, like, you know, they, they had to do animal sacrifices as part of their worship. That's how they did it back then. And, and so these guys had a pretty good gig going because, you know, you could only use certain sheep for your sacrifice and certain birds for your sacrifice. And, well, we have the good ones right here in the temple, and they just happen to be, you know, three times what you'd pay anyplace else. Sorry. And Jesus was speaking against that, against turning the joy of the house of the Lord into a dead religious exercise. When it becomes a dead religious exercise, then you can abuse people, you can take advantage of people, you can guilt them into stuff, you can make them pay their way for heaven, you got to pay this to get Uncle Harry out of hell, you got to spring him, you know, you got to pay penance, you got to do this, here's all the stuff, all the rules. If you miss the joy of prayer, you're destined to turn it into a dead religious exercise. And no wonder we struggle to pray so much. This idea of joy in the house of God and the house of prayer it's not just here. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. Here's one example, Psalm 43, verse 4. He says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. I will go to God my joy and delight. Do you ever think of God as your joy and your delight? Think about that. How often do we reference God as my joy and my delight? Do you know what religion has done to you and me? It, it has divided that in our lives. So God is the God thing that I have to do. And then there's everything else that I just really love to do. Here's God. He's, he's boring and, you know, sometimes exciting if I feel warm and fuzzy. But then here's everything else that I just really love to do. Do you see what religion has done to you? It's stolen the joy of the presence of God from your life. And I, I'm saying this morning that if you miss the joy, you've missed the presence. That, that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. God is not boring. God is the most joyful being in the universe. So if your encounter with God is boring, you've not met God. You've met the religious version of God. 
And what I'm saying to you this morning is if you've never met the God that brings joy, you need to know him. Today is the day that you can begin your relationship with him. Jesus Christ died in order to make that happen, my friend. So that, so that God's not a dead religion to you, but he's alive, he's living, he's joyful, he's fulfilling, he's satisfying in every way, shape, and form. Do you hear my heart for you today? You've got to know God this way. And so this is what God's heart is for you and me, to have joy in his house of prayer. Now, what's happening when we pray? Let's talk about that, because that's important. If we, can, if we can just set aside our religious expectations of prayer, can we do that for a moment? You know, the, the religious side of prayer where you say, hey, did you pray today? Well, yeah, I prayed today. Did you? How long? Did you get on your knees? Did you, did you say you're sorry? Did you fold your hands? Did you close your eyes? Well, I don't know. Maybe I didn't pray then today. I don't know. And then you know what we do with the religious expectation of prayer is when then what I do is the, the pendulum swings over here, and I say, well, you know what, I, we, get, we get kind of, uh, we stiffen up, and we go, well, you know what, I don't believe prayer is all about getting on your knees and folding your hands and closing your eyes, and you have to pray for 10 minutes a day, and you have to do this and that. I don't believe that. What I do is I talk to God all day long. That's what I do. But I think if you were genuinely honest, you'd admit you don't talk to God as much as you say you do. And I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm just saying, let's just be real about it. Truth is, you might talk to him, you know, if you added it up, what is it? Five, ten minutes a day? It's a little shot here, a little shot there. You throw them up here and there. I mean, let's just be honest with it. I don't think you're talking to God all day long like you think you're talking to God. But that's the religious stuff. That's what I'm saying is, can we lay that aside? Can we, can we put that down? Who wants to put that down? You ready? I want to get rid of that. So let's, do, let's be done with that. Now, what's really happening? This is the fun part. What's really happening when you pray? This is huge. The first thing you need to understand is this. What's really happening when you start to pray? Your prayer actually rattles the cages of hell, and it brings heaven to a dead stop. Do you know that? Your prayer does that. Your prayer does that. Rattles the cages of hell brings heaven to a dead stop. That's what Revelation chapter 8 verse chapter 8 verse 1 tells us. In Revelation chapter 8 in the book of Revelation we get this like window into heaven. And and you see heaven as a noisy place. Heaven looks nothing like this. It looks nothing like this. You read Revelation, heaven? Whoa. Whoa. You got angels singing antiphonally, side to side. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And they're doing that all the time. They never stop. Never stop. And then you got saints bowing down before the throne. They're singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. All honor and glory and power and praise be to him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. 
And you got holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. The Bible tells us that the thresholds of heaven rumble and they shake and it's filled with smoke and the pillars are rocking back and forth because of the sound. You've got angels shouting and saints singing and drums beating and trumpets blasting. It's crazy. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that, now you need to imagine, do you see it? The God of the universe is seated on the throne and he's basking in all of this. This is what he gets. He's the center of everything. Every eye is on him. Every heart is turned towards him. They're completely enraptured in his presence and they are filled with joy unlike you have ever experienced on earth. And in the middle of all of that, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, says that something happens. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. I love that little detail. A half an hour. How do you get a half an hour in a place that has no time? I don't know, but that's a discussion for another day, I'm sure. There's silence for about a half an hour. What is it? that brings heaven to a dead stop? What is it that, that makes the angels stop singing and the saints stop singing and the drums stop beating and the trumpets stop blaring? What is it that does that? Well, if you read further in Revelation chapter 8, it says that there's an angel that brings this bowl of incense and, and the incense begins to, the aroma rises up to the nostrils of God. And God begins to, Breathe in that incense. And, and he likes it. It smells good. Huh. Can you see this? Heaven is singing, holy, 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 worthy, 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 drums, trumpets, banging, clanging. And God is in the middle of all of this, basking in it, and he begins to just take in a deep breath in his nose. Oh. And he goes, Michael, shh, Gabriel. And I imagine like there's, there's one angel, he's kind of clueless because he's in there just like pounding his drum in his own world. And he's the last one pounding his drum and he realizes everybody's looking at him and he's like, oh, oh, awkward. Puts down his drumstick. All of heaven falls silent. And then this incense rises up before the throne. And you know what that is? Revelation 8 tells us. It's your prayer. Your prayer. Could there be any greater honor for someone as small as me than to catch the heart of someone as great as God? Could there be? There is no greater honor. Could there be any greater honor for someone as small as you and me than to catch the heart of someone as great as God. And yet, the Bible tells us that that is precisely what happens when we pray. It's amazing. You bring heaven to its knees. You see what I mean? 
Like when you start, when you cut the ties to religion and you just kind of start to drift away from all that silliness, you begin to see what's really happening when you, you, bow your knee to pray. You know, imagine tonight, parents, if you've got little kids and you're going to, I trust that you'll bow at their beds tonight when you're putting them to bed and you'll pray together before they go to sleep tonight. And your child probably prays the sweetest prayer, don't they? I love hearing children pray. You understand that when your child, when she or he prays tonight, this is what's happening. This happens every time. You bring heaven to a stop. Now, there's something more. There's something even, I don't know if it's, you can't even call it greater, but something more. If you go to Romans chapter 8, if you go to Romans chapter 8, we, we discover that it goes uh, deeper. And, and I just want to read it first, and then we'll talk through it. But Romans chapter 8, verse 26, and ooh, I just realized my time, so I'll make it quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, he says, in the same way, Everybody say, in the same way. That's very important. In the same way. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Do you see that verse 29, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters? Jesus is your older brother. Just try to wrap your mind and heart around that one. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if Jesus is my big brother, well, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Look at that. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Hmm. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So look at verse 26. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Verse 34, Jesus is also interceding. Look at that's important. And also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us as we pray. What's in the same way? What is that? It's connected to something. 
And if you go back up in the text, up to verse 14, you see what it's connected to. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Wow. The Holy Spirit brought about your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. Co-heirs with Christ. That makes sense, doesn't it? That you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. If you are his younger brother or sister, if he is our older brother, then he shares the inheritance with you and me, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory in the same way, in the same way that the Holy Spirit has given you that spirit of adoption, that, that he's aided in your adoption so that you can be a child of God and call him your father, so that you can call Jesus your big brother, in the same way that the Spirit has done that, It says, he also helps you in your weakness to pray. In the same way, the Spirit is the one who actually helps you to connect with God as Father. And I know that not everybody does that. I know that some people have a hard time with that because, you know, you say, I don't know, my my father, maybe your earthly father was a dud, and, and you have a hard time connecting with God as Father. Or maybe your earthly father was even worse. Maybe he was abusive or absent or whatever, and and you have a hard time connecting, but can I just speak to that just for a quick second? Obviously, it's a lot deeper than this, but just for a quick second, you you know how you have this idea in your mind of what the perfect father is like? Even if you had a bad dad, you still have an idea in your mind of what the perfect father is like. Because you look at other guys sometimes, and you'll say, oh, man, if I had it, I wish I had a dad that would do that with me. I wish I had a dad that would do that with me. You see different things, and you say, oh, I wish I had that. There's things that you know that you would like to have that you idealize as being a part of what it is to have a father. True? Can I just tell you that God is all of that and more? And in fact, I don't mean your dad any disrespect, but even if you had a great earthly father, can I tell you, God the Father is nothing like your earthly father. He is so far superior, so far superior. And Jesus Christ himself has said, I'm willing to be your big brother, to share the inheritance that I have with you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who makes that possible. He brings you, look, at, so if you have trouble connecting with God as Father, can I just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you? Because That's what he says in Romans 8. Isn't that part of his ministry to you and me? That's what he does. He helps us to connect with God as a father. And so if I'm struggling in that area, ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to connect with God as a father because God the Father is longing to connect with you in that way. And then it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't even know what we're talking about. We don't know what to pray. And so the Spirit intercedes for us, and I love that, because I think sometimes I'm down here, I'm like praying, 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 and I think the Holy Spirit sometimes says to the Father, you know, he doesn't really mean it that way, Father. What he really means is this. 
And I think, oh, that's right. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You can take that and translate my prayer. You see what I mean? You don't have to worry about saying it the right way. That's why I say you don't have to. That's, that's religion. Religion says you have to pray the prayer the right way. In relationship, you don't have to pray it the right way because the Holy Spirit is translating your prayer for you. So you can just, you know, you just all you have to worry about is connecting. That's, that's, your, that's your job. You're like, Father, I just want to come and connect with you. Like, that's what I want to do. Now, I'm probably going to say stuff wrong. I'm probably going to get it wrong. But I just want to meet with you today, God, my Father. And then, not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but Jesus is also. Do you see that? That Jesus is also, and his intercession is different. His intercession has to do with our condemnation. That's the text. In other words, there's shame. Shame comes in to you and to me, and shame distances us from God. Shame says, you've blown it too bad. You're too much. Let's go back to Isaiah 56. Shame. You're a foreigner. You know, you're a spiritual equivalent to a eunuch. You, you've this, you're that. And Jesus steps in and he runs block for you and me. And he goes, Father, no, actually, I paid for this one. My blood was shed for that one. She's mine. He's mine. And, and the devil is constantly accusing you and me. He is. The scripture tells us that. That's what he does. He's always talking smack. But Jesus is always right there saying, no, Father, she's mine. He's mine. I paid for him. My blood covered his sins, her sins. They're mine. And the Holy Spirit's constantly going, Father, that's really not what she meant to say. She meant to say this. Father, this is really... <laughs> So you see what's happening? Maybe I have an overactive imagination, but do you see what's going on? That when you step in to pray, when you begin to pray, oh, Father, dear God, and you start to pray, you walk into a conversation that's already happening because the Spirit is always interceding and Jesus is always interceding. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are talking. And you're walking into that. And so, you know, have you ever walked into a conversation? And, you know, you don't just barge in. You kind of stand a little bit on the outside to listen, just kind of see where it's at. And then you work your way into the conversation. Well, this is what happens when we pray. When I, when I come to prayer, I'm coming into a conversation that's already happening. See, religion says you have to come in, you have to do this, look like that, say this, here's the magic phrase, da, da, da. Relationship says I'm walking into a conversation where my family is talking. And you know what you find out? Jesus turns, I imagine I walk in, and Jesus turns to me and he goes, Hey, Father, hey, that's Doug. We were just talking about you. Who are they talking about? You. You. They're always interceding for you. When you walk in and you find they're talking about you, that warms you, does it not? Because they're talking about you and they're, it's positive. You're like, whenever you walk into a conversation and they're talking about you and it's not positive, you know that awkward feeling. 
because they start to get quiet and, oh, shh, it's them. And you kind of back away. When you walk into a conversation and they're talking about you and it's positive and they say, hey, were your ears burning? Because we were just talking about you. That immediately warms you into the conversation. And you discover God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are engaged in a conversation for your benefit, your benefit, and they welcome you into the conversation. That's what's happening when you pray. Isn't it amazing? And so when we pray, we want to know what's on the heart of God. I mean, he loves to hear what's on your heart, and that's certainly appropriate. But sometimes I find when I come to pray, I want to sit quiet, first of all, and get this sense of what's really happening right now. Like, right now, what's really happening. I'm connecting with the God of the universe. I'm bringing heaven to a dead stop and I'm walking into a conversation that's already happening, and they welcome me into the conversation. And sometimes I'll say, God, what's on your heart today? Like, what are you thinking about? And you know, boy, that takes my prayer all kinds of different directions sometimes. Sometimes I've sensed that God's heart is for, is for the church in China. I mean, it's all kinds of different things. You name it. I've had... I've had my heart drawn towards lepers in Thailand, had my heart drawn towards our friends in Nicaragua, had my heart drawn to some of you, all, all with the question, God, what's on your heart? What are you thinking about right now? And then let that go as I pray. But you see, the goal of prayer is connecting with God. That's the goal. It's not checking off a box, that's religion. It's to make a connection with him. And um, friends, when you do that, there's joy in prayer. Do you see that? The joy of prayer is the presence of God. And that's the goal of it. Um, I don't know what to do except to pray for you right now. I had a couple of little things. I don't know. I mean, I was going to I don't even know how these fit. Can I just run these really quick? Because they, they don't really fit, but they're quick. So, you know, uh, I just want to give you some encouragement here. First, some things that I'm learning about prayer is one is that your personality influences prayer. That's okay. God gave you your personality. And I've found that sometimes extroverts, they would rather pray in groups. Introverts like to pray alone. And you know, that's not a bad thing. It's not that one is better than the other. Actually, we should always be striving for both. But just to say, your personality is probably going to lean you more one direction than another. That's okay. Be free. <laughs> the second thing I've learned is your spiritual gifts influence prayer. I've noticed that pastors tend to really care about the growth of people, and they pray. That's where we focus our prayer. Evangelists tend to pray for the lost a lot. People with the gift of apostleship tend to think big picture and they see the kingdom of God and missions and that tends to be where their heart, where their prayer goes. So spirit, people with the gift of mercy, oh, they tend to bleed all over the Lord in prayer because their hearts are aching for people that are hurting and broken and so forth. Like your, your spiritual gift influences the way that you pray and that's also 
a beautiful thing. And then the third thing I noticed is this, that there's different styles of communicating. Not, we, we all talk differently, and that's okay too. And so just be you. Be authentic. You know, the goal of prayer is just be yourself. Because the goal of prayer is to connect with God. In order to connect with God, you just need to be authentic. And so these things influence. Here's some other things I've learned. And I'll tell you, personally, I have a hard time staying focused in prayer. Anybody wrestle with being focused in prayer? I have spiritual ADHD. Anybody have spiritual ADHD? I do. And I really envy people that can just get on their knees and spend five hours in prayer and just, you know, like, wow, that's really awesome. That has never been my experience. But I've learned this, that there are some things I can do to stay focused in prayer. And I say, first of all, what I just shared today is super important. Knowing what's happening when you pray is really huge. That's huge. But then beyond that, I say this. I find for me, I walk and I talk. This helps me to stay focused. It drives my wife crazy, but it, but it helps me because she'll talk to me and I'll just move to the next room and do something. And she's like, I was, I was in the middle of a sentence and you just got up and walked over to that room. I'm like, I'm still listening. I'm just over there. <laughs> I don't know. I find I can stay engaged if I'm moving. And so I take walks with Jesus. I leave the phone at home, leave the music at home, whatever it is. No distractions, just walk with Jesus. Something about the feet moving that keeps my heart focused. And, and I've also found that using a guide sometimes does help. Now, you can use this religiously. Using a guide can become a religion where you check off your boxes and I'm doing my formula. That's not at all what I'm talking about. You hear the heart, you hear the difference. It's just sometimes it helps to stay focused. <laughs> So Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. That's a great actual guide to pray through. Or, or in your rooted book, they, did, they use the word pray as an acronym, P-R-A-Y, and that's actually a really good little, uh, you know, little good guide. And if you've used that as a guide, I think it's on page 55, something like that. So that can help. And the other thing that I did was I find music helps. And if you can't play music, like with a guitar or a piano or something, because that's not everybody, of course, you press play and pop on some worship music and just get alone with the Lord. That really helps a lot of folks. But I learned how to play the guitar just so that I could play to the Lord. And um, it's just for his ears only. Anybody else doesn't like hearing it. But he loves it. And there's something about this that just keeps my mind focused on the Lord. Is that ADHD? Probably some of you guys are like, oh, that's totally, you need medicine. No, I'm good. I just got Jesus. I'm good. So all that to say, I just want to help you. There's joy. There can be joy in your prayer. There really can be. Hmm. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.